Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcasts. My name is Mike Perry. I am one of your co-hosts, and I'm here with Brett. How you doing, buddy? Fabulous. Just, uh, you know, uh, we're past the halfway point of the year. Holy mackerel, when did that happen? Um, trying to trying to keep all the balls in the air, plates spinning, keep all my cliches sharp. Yeah, it's just that kind of time frame. I like it. I noticed I call. Did you notice I called you Brett? I didn't. I didn't give you a last name, so it's going to be kind of like Pele now, or or Messi, right? You're just going to be Brett. Sounds better with a Scottish accent. Brett. 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 <laughs> golf. Do you remember the the old uh, the old Robin Williams golf skit? Oh my gosh, classic, brilliant, so good. Yeah. So good. Not I, I don't even want to not, try to not to be repeated on air. No, I was going to say, and I don't even want to try to <laughs> replicate it because it's just going to, it's going to sound terrible and, and, uh, and, and God bless that man. Cause he made a lot of people laugh, but anyways, uh, yeah. we're not talking about Robin Williams, although guys incredible. Uh, we are going to talk about, uh, the cervical spine, the neck and, uh, training in general and scope of practice and all things neck, because, um, I feel like the neck is one of those things. A lot of people deal with and a lot of clients that we've worked with have, have dealt with neck pain. But low back pain tends to be the one that gets sort of a little bit more attention and 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 for obvious reasons, a lot more people in general based off of the numbers um, uh, get low back pain before, uh, not beforehand, but they tend to get, you know, higher percentage of individuals get low back pain than neck pain. But um, neck pain is a real thing. And uh, I've, I've dealt with a lot of people, man, and it can be tricky. So um, that's what we're really going to talk about today. So... You know, I, I think the first thing is, is um, when you're, when you're dealing with a new client or working with a new client or student is intake and, and, and understanding their background and understanding their injury history, medical history is so important, but um, yes, we need to do that, but we need to do a little bit more fact finding. So what are some other things, Brett, that you think would be, um, you know, besides the basic FMS, right? We run the FMS and we ask a, a basic park queue. What are some other good um evaluation-based drills that you've seen, Brett, that could maybe give us some more insight on how the neck is functioning in general? So right away from a history standpoint, you want to be asking about car accidents, falls, concussions, uh, things that would have, as an athletic trainer, uh, we're, we're taught two things. If you have a head injury, assume a neck injury. If you have a neck injury, assume a head injury. And we're told if you have a shoulder injury, assume a neck injury. <laughs> and if you have a neck injury, assume that uh, it could impact the shoulder. So it's a critical junction point. And um, if we expand that history conversation into falls, car accidents, concussions, we already start picking up some information that could be impactful uh, around the neck. Um, see what I did there? Impactful neck. I falls, like it. I like it. But, um, but, uh, um, but also uh, headaches and migraines. 
do they have a history of, of headaches and migraines? Uh, do, and when do they tend to come on? Um, all of those can start giving you an idea that maybe the, the neck is something that needs to be looked at. Uh, for the fitness professionals, the from a, a just a, a base sort of screening standpoint, uh, range of motion check. Um, can you take your chin to your chest? And that's not doing this weird t- chin tuck neck nod thing that has become a thing, but actually flexing your neck and trying to take your neck to your uh, chin to your chest, face to ceiling within about 10 or 15 degrees, um, turn right, turn left. Uh, you want to get the chin over the S curve of the uh, clavicle. Um, you can check side bending, but it's a, it's a fairly short range of motion. And with all of this, we're looking for, can they clear the range and does it hurt? In the worst case scenario, you do something like turn right and their right arm goes numb. That's bad. (laughs) (laughs) If they turn right and they feel a stretch on the left, okay, that makes a little more sense. That, that, that um, is, um, I don't want to say expected, but that's like, that's something we can deal with much easier. So if any range of motion checks or movement of the spine causes any sort of numbness, tingling or problems down the arms, Um, You definitely want to check on that. The other thing you want to check is grip strength. And whether you do that old fashioned, having them squeeze your fingers, or whether you have a dynamometer that you can use to actually get, I said, squeeze fingers, not pull fingers. I was waiting. Totally different trick. Uh, But if you have a dynamometer and you can put specific numbers to it, you know, look at that grip strength uh, between the right and the left and test it in three different positions um, down by the side up in kind of the 90 degree elbow position and then um, overhead. And you can start picking up on some differences right to left or a positional difference that when you take them overhead, if they had, and I'm just making up numbers here, if they had a hundred pounds or uh, 50 kilos of grip strength at the 90 degree elbow and you take them overhead and that plummets to 20, something's going on. (laughs) Like you should probably have a difference in that overhead position, but not that much. Um, So that's for, as far as the neck and screening, both history and um, physical screening, those are the things that I, that I look for in reference to the, to the neck. Absolutely. No, that was a lot of great information. And, uh, and I'll be honest and, and I should have, I should have thought about this because I'm someone that suffers from migraines, but um, I don't know why I haven't asked that question more often in the past I have. So that's a, it's a good reminder for me to, to make sure that I think about that because I'm someone that, you know, I've, I've gotten migraines and I get a, I have a script for it when it gets really, really bad and migraines. Absolutely. Um, you know, neck issues. Um, you know, another, a uh, few things that that sort of reminded me of, um, you know, dental history. Um, if you do work with someone that has a bite splint or a, or a night guard where they, they, uh, clench a lot. Um, if you are someone that does grind, I have been someone that grinds their teeth. And, um, when you are constantly grinding your teeth and you have a ton of tension in your jaw, um, it's actually going to sort of, I don't want to say bleed out or leak out into the upper neck, but you're going to have excessive tension in your upper extremities. So, um, you know, SEM, all this other stuff in your neck is going to be on. And that's why a lot of people wake up with a sore neck because they're clenching and their jaw is on all night. Imagine making a tight fist all night and then wondering why the next morning your forearm was a little bit sore and angry, right? So um, that's a big part of it too. And I've noticed with myself that when I'm stressed out, I tend to clench more 
more and I tend to, you know, bite down a little bit more. And guess what? I have a little bit more tension in my neck, which can lead to other stuff. So um, that's something to, to pay attention to, if you will. Um, and another thing is, is uh, you know, I don't want to get too sort of, uh, you know, existential and, and where do people hold their stress, but some people tend to hold their stress in their neck. Some people tend to hold their stress in their low backs, right? I, I don't have any anecdotal evidence, but I will tell you this. Um, when I'm very, very stressed out, my low back tends to get flared up and pissed off. My wife, when she's stressed out, her 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 neck and her upper back tends to get locked up. So I do think that while we probably don't have any you know, studies that say it yet, actually, I know that stress in general is going to play a role in movement. So if you are one of those individuals that do tend to hold a lot of stress in your, you know, your upper back and your neck where you find yourself holding your breath a lot or constantly clenching your jaw, um, there could, that could be leading or that could be um, part of the whole picture when it comes to what's going on with the neck. So that's a few other things to consider. 100%. The motion of the jaw is tied to the motion of the neck. Um, and one way that you can kind of prove that to yourself is if you do a cervical extension and at the end of your range of motion with keep your uh, teeth together, but not clenched, and you take your neck into extension to kind of that end range and then open and close your mouth three or four times, uh, fully closing between uh, openings, um, you're going to increase the range of motion of that extension by a uh, a tremendous amount and it, it can really help release a little bit of jaw and neck tension. So that's important. And clinically, you know, if we talk about this from a little bit more of a clinical standpoint and you find somebody that has reduced cervical range of motion, uh, if we look at it from an SFMA perspective, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take you down and we're going to try and figure out whether that's upper or lower cervical. Uh, the way neck range of motion works is um, the, from about C1, C2 is 50% of your neck range of motion. The other 50% is distributed amongst those other four uh, vertebrae from C3 to C7. Um, that's a lot of motion that happens in that, in that very upper cervical layer, uh, area. Um, and in my experience, when you have a lower cervical restriction, uh, getting the T-spine to move will oftentimes bring those, that lower cervical uh, with it. But if it's upper cervical, you got to go see somebody. <laughs> There's And whether that's a good massage therapist that can get into those suboccipitals and, and really kind of get that area released so that you regain that range of motion, um, or whether it's a chiropractor or a physical therapist for a little bit of mobilization, uh, potentially uh, manipulation, uh, controversial topic when you start talking about upper cervical manipulations. Um, but so clinically, we we want to find out, is this upper or lower cervical? Because there's some different strategies there. Um, because the range of motion uh, that comes from that upper cervical is so significant. Um, and uh, But in most of my experience, if it's lower cervical, uh, I would address T-spine mobility and get that lower cervical uh, motion to kind of come along with it. Um, you know, this, this is an area where a huge shout out to the licensed massage therapist out there um, who can go hands-on and really do some excellent work uh, around the neck to help uh, with spasm, tension, uh, regaining range of motion, uh, thing, things of that nature. Um, so, uh, and then of course we would, from that upper versus cervical, upper versus lower cervical, passive versus active. 
you know, if, is this a range of motion that I, that I can get you to clear passively, but you can't clear it on your own uh, motor control issue, or is it consistent? Can you not clear it passively and not clear it um, actively? Uh, in that case, we, a little bit of a, uh, we got we know we got to release some uh, tension uh, someplace in order to regain that, that range of motion. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a couple of things uh, when Brett's talking about range of motion and, you know, lower upper cervical, um, remember he is an athletic trainer. So he, you know, he is talking in the medical world because he is licensed as an ATC. For those of you that are not medical profession, uh, professionals, um, I'm not saying that you can't discuss and learn about the cervical spine, but, um, in my opinion, as a personal trainer, from a scope standpoint, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm staying away from the neck. I'm just, I'm staying, I'm staying away from the neck in general. Um, and again, you know, I have some, some basic stuff that I can use as far as, you know, helping people with maybe, uh, opening up their interior chest, maybe pec minor, um, you know, maybe some stuff in their, uh, their lats, terrace major minor, maybe getting into the meaty part of the upper trap a little bit, but anything that's sort of, that's running parallel with that vertebrae, I'm, I'm just, I'm laying off. And, um, and again, that is where, like Brett said, having a good massage therapist can come in there and they can pinpoint and expedite that process. Cause there's a lot going on in there. There's, you know, you've got your brachial plexus, you've got major arteries. I mean, there's a lot going up there and you just don't start poking around and jamming lacrosse balls and, and doing a bunch of soft <laughs> tissue work in there. So, um, um, so yeah, just, just pay attention and be smart with that because you just, you know, it's, um, you, you're playing with fire a little bit. And if you don't know what you're doing, just, you probably shouldn't be poking around. It's kind of like if you're working and you're digging holes in your yard, you should probably call dig safe before you just start, you know, putting giant holes in your yard, because if you hit something that you shouldn't hit, it's probably a bad idea. And it's kind of the same thing with the neck. Um, but, um, Couple a uh, couple things I do want to say though is um you know Brett is a big breathing guy and uh, has some great information on the diaphragm diaphragm and breathing but um you know I, I will say that one of the simplest ways to improve uh, range of motion in the neck and the upper back is just teaching people how to breathe we can downregulate tone a little bit um, and here's the cool thing you can. If you pair breathing with all of the various types of postures, the transitional postures from supine, prone, quadruped, and you can go all the way up through half kneeling, you can get a lot of mileage too. And the beauty of that is some people due to, you know, from a gravity, uh, from a gravity standpoint and a neurological threat standpoint, doing those mobility drills in a supported spine position where their neck is supported on the ground and doing some rotations and some flexion extension sometimes is that little extra piece of horsepower you need to expedite that process. Because a lot of the times if we're up vertical and we're standing and the neck is on fire and we're in this sort of high, high threat response, it's going to be really, really hard to downregulate that CNS, get that tone to drop a little bit. So, um, the floor is your friend when it comes to the cervical spine from my experience. And then going through those transitional postures and just gentle movement paired with breathing, um, really, really good stuff. That reminds me, Brett, a lot of the, uh, I've had a lot of people have some really good, um, uh, results with the old OS stuff, you know, Tim Anderson mm -hmm. stuff going through those transitional postures from the, the, the NDS. Absolutely. Do your neck nods, do your, do your range motion, uh, work. It's a great point with the breathing, uh, in particular, because, uh, the anterior scalenes in the neck, um, is one of those muscles that will become, uh, if we're have an apical breathing pattern, uh, where we're breathing up, uh, into the chest instead of descend, the diaphragm descending. And we tend to get the traps and the uh, the neck musculature actually trying to assist us with our breathing. Well, don't wonder why your neck's tight. 
Um, cause you're only breathing about 20,000 times a day. And if you're less than optimal, uh, in that, and you know, this has become something that the, the snarky, uh, individuals out there in the interwebs, uh, will, will love to point out about belly breathing and, you know, they'll make snarky little comments, but, uh, I guarantee you, you find somebody that has kind of that, that dysfunctional breathing pattern where they're using upper traps and neck, uh, in an attempt to breathe, uh, cause we tend to do that, um, on an ongoing basis, uh, hopefully. Uh, and it's going to have a huge impact on the neck. Um, so yeah, m- working through those postures, positions, um, gentle motion at the neck um, is, is, a, is a big deal. And uh, can make, and breathing can make a big, big difference for folks. Absolutely. And, and you had mentioned chiropractic. And uh, I do want to touch on this a little bit um, because I, I do think that um, like any profession and like any individual, there's good ones and bad ones. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I think when it comes to necks an experienced and skilled chiropractor can literally be a lifesaver, can change lives because I, I have, have a guy that I've gone to, uh, you know, on and off guy that's been in the profession for like 40 something years, uh, Dr. Harlan Rior, and this guy's old school, but if I have something going on, he's the guy that I go to. And, um, literally, um, he is, he has helped me tremendously. Um, but just, you know, a couple things about, you know, manipulations, right. Um, and, and this is not to pick on anybody, this is not to poo poo on anybody, but, um, they're not putting something back in place, guys. Um, there, uh, something did not get dislocated. And then with someone's thumbs and with their arms, they're putting it back in place. If there was a true joint subluxation, or, you know, dislocation, it, they would be in the hospital and you wouldn't be able to put it back in because if that was the case, every single contact sport, people would just collide and joints would just dislocate left and right. It would be like the, uh, you know, this reminds me of, do you remember the boneless chicken farm? Dude, exactly where my brain went. No way. Yes. It did. It did. <laughs> It the did. Far, Twinsies. Was that, that was, a, was that the far side? Is that what? Yeah, the... that's far side. The 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 picture of the boneless chicken ranch, and you got the chickens just kind of flopped <laughs> just, down in all kinds of different there. positions. Oh, brilliant, kismet. <laughs> no, but but seriously, yeah. like I mean, I know people think oh, I, I have to go to the chiro to put this back in place, or I got to put my rib back in place. Um, it probably never came out of place. Most likely, what happened is there was a traumatic event. If there's a rib. The rib got pissed off and and where the rib inserts, it got pissed off and got irritated and it's inflamed. It's not going to go back in place. But here's the cool thing about thrust manipulations. A lot of the, the, the more recent research says like, hey, look, when you're doing thrust manipulations, it doesn't really even matter the location of the manipulation they're saying as far as the success is getting people to feel a little bit better and improve range of motion. So, um, for example, if you do a T-spine manip, you could get some improvement in cervical. So that just shows sort of the power of the nervous system. So... When you are getting adjusted, it's more of a neurological effect. It's not an anatomical effect. It's not like bones are getting realigned. Because if that was the case, like I said, every time we, uh, every time we had a contact sport, it would be bodies flying everywhere. So, um, and and again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying chiropractors are not beneficial or are not skilled. I'm just saying we're not putting bones back in place. Agreed. And you know, from a from an exercise standpoint. To, to transition kind of from the um, the the issues and the the screening and things like that um, from an exercise standpoint um, there's kind of 
I think there's one vein of thought that works uh, pretty consistently uh, across the board, and that is a neutral to slightly extended neck. Um, we want to avoid the extremes. We don't want to flex under load typically, and we don't want to hyperextend under load. Um, when we take an example of something like the kettlebell swing, where I'm dynamically sitting back into that hiked, uh, loaded eccentric position, producing three, three and a half times my body weight eccentric load. If I am at that moment getting pulled back into a, a massive kind of cervical extension, that's three and a half times body weight eccentric load that's getting jammed into my neck. Um, that can be a problem. Um, whereas on the other end of things, if I'm looking where the kettlebell is going and I flex my neck, that's not good either because now I'm getting a big load through a flexed neck and spine. And here you have to kind of tie in oculomotor, vestibular, and cervical because it's all involved. And I've worked with people who have some vestibular problems and you better, they do, they tend to do better with a squatty style swing where they are definitely moving more up and down because if their head goes down and forward and whips up and back, they're going to be thrown up yeah. uh, potentially because uh, that vestibular system gets involved there. And if you look down, the whole spine, the whole body wants to flex. If you look up, it wants to extend. Look right, you're going right. Look left, going left. Uh, this is why when you were learning how to drive and you went to look to the right, the car went with you. You hadn't learned yet to not turn everything. Yeah. Uh, so all of that is hardwired in. And so whether, uh, and, and some different recommendations here, if we were talking a conventional style deadlift versus a sumo deadlift, a low bar back squat versus a uh, kettlebell front squat. Um, where you look and how you maintain your cervical position uh, will be slightly different. Um, the more upright you are, the more you're going to be looking out in front of you. The more hinged you are with the chest coming 45 degrees down to the ground, you're going to be looking maybe six to 10 feet uh, in front of you. Um, general recommendation is the horizon, uh, where the sky meets the ground. Uh, but if you're not outside and the horizon isn't, you know, the horizon, that's a good distance away from you, uh, that can be kind of a bad recommendation. Um, I know for me, when I film stuff in my, uh, palatial, uh, office here on the, uh, the, in my, in my house, um, when I turn a particular direction and the wall is like a couple of feet in front of my face, uh, it, it messes with me because my my eye positions and what I'm looking at changes a lot. So I think where we get into trouble here is two of the most common cues, which I wish would be deleted uh, from the exercise, exercise lexicon, is chest up, head up. Because um, if I'm in the bottom of a squat and the way I try to come out of that squat is to extend my neck and try to, I don't know, pull myself out of my squat with my neck. Good luck with that. That's what I do. Um, yeah. Good. Good. Works, it you. works fantastic. I can't <laughs> move my neck anymore, but that's fine. <laughs> so I, I think that um, there's some cueing and some uh, things that uh, are probably commonly used that should probably be deleted. Uh, but that neutral and neutral um you know, if we, if we look at the FMS uh, inline lunge where you've got the stick on the back touching the head 
T-spine and sacrum, and you've got that fist in between the 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 uh, neck and the stick. Um, that's where you should hold it. There's a curve in the neck, um, as there should be, because it's it's uh, curved. That's a neutral neck. It has a curve still, just like a neutral low back still has a curve. Um, and so sometimes when we get too aggressive with, say, a chin tuck to, quote, try to find a neutral spine, or we flex the neck and, and eliminate the spine, you know, or we overextend, like that. there's where we start to run into our problems. So that neutral neck still has a curve in it. Um, and slight extension, fantastic. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, where I go from a, an exercise standpoint. Absolutely. And, and one other thing you mentioned with, with kettlebells too, is, um, you know, if you do train with kettlebells a lot, you're probably doing a decent amount of reps, decent amount of volumes in general, especially with swings. It's very easy to accumulate hundreds of repetitions within a workout. Um, and a lot of people say, well, kettlebell swings hurt my neck. Well, if you are doing that swing and you look like a bobblehead every single time, well, not only have you done three, 400 reps of a kettlebell swing, but you've also done three, 400 reps of cervical flexion extension with a bunch of tension in your upper back as well. And then you're wondering why, because your neck is all over the place. So um, it's having the ability to control it and make sure that it's just not flopping. And again, when you're going into that hinge, you don't want to be at end range cervical extension at the bottom of your hinge. And then when you go and you, you sort of finish that swing and you lock out, you tuck your chin and you try to get a little bit more abs by tucking your chin, but you don't realize that all you're doing is you're moving your head all the way through flexion extension hundreds of times really fast. So, um, that's why it's good. <laughs> it's good to take a video because, uh, you know, if you see a lot of excessive movement in the neck, um, maybe it's not a movement restriction. It could be just a technical issue. And, and you have to kind of maybe rebuild that a little bit, go back to some deadlifts and pay attention to the neck position when you're doing your swings. hundred percent. And, uh, the, the, uh, the extra finish at the swing is the other thing that, uh, that you try to catch people on in that, um, and, and this is where the cue get tall or, you know, asking the person, how, how tall are you? They can say whatever, six feet. Okay. Be six foot at the top of your swing. Yeah. Cause right now you're not, you're like five ten. And some of the times what happens is in an effort to have that extra finish of the swing, they actually pro uh, project their head forward and down and they're trying to finish the swing with this kind of head motion uh the the head and neck should be the calm center of the hurricane um and that that's a, a kind of an apt analogy for most any exercise you want the head and neck to be um uh stable but not involved in the in the motion and this goes back all the way i can remember when i was uh, many years ago um, training on the old style Nautilus machines. And that was one of the big things that Arthur Jones and, and uh, the, the Nautilus folks were looking for was not having that excessive tension in the head and neck. It's something Pavel talks about in the in a misinterpretation, common misinterpretation of hard style techniques and the high tension strategies is there's this excessive cervical tension and facial tension um, that can actually ruin your efficiency uh, as, a, as an athlete. Uh, or within an exercise. So, you know, the, the head and neck should be the, the calm center of the hurricane. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we see, we see the same thing in, in, uh, when we're dialing in, uh, speed 
mechanics and, and, and doing speed training with a little bit more experienced athletes once they're, you know, getting to that point at, at you know, in, in their teenage years where we can actually start to teach them a little bit more about technique. Um, you'll see a lot of people breath holding. And you'll see they'll their necks and their scalenes and they they puff their cheeks out. And again, it's like they're they're trying, and we want effort in sprinting. But at a certain point, it's like you have to peel back some of that effort a little bit and, and some of that tension because now you're just creating too much. And it's the same thing with 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 tension and relaxation. And we've talked about that with with some of our other podcasts. But so let's let's kind of change gears a little bit. Um, give you some sort of practical advice on what this looks like working with a client with some neck issues. Um. You know, obviously, if someone is in pain, you want to manage that first and you want to get that taken care of. Go see a medical professional, make sure you have a diagnosis, and then you're going to move on. Um, but you are going to you're going to have those people that just come in and they're going to say that they just have a bad neck. And that's literally what they're going to say. And they've always had a bad neck. Uh, what are some things that we can potentially do? Well, um, right away, you need to be aware that they're going to be very, very hypersensitive to anything that's sort of going on in their upper body, especially from an activation standpoint. So they're going to feel when they row, they're probably going to feel their neck a lot when they do some pushes, uh, more so I would say on overhead pushes, they're probably going to feel their neck a little bit more than, than, um, horizontal pushes, but they're going to have a sensation of it being used a lot. And that's part of it. So the key here is to get them to the point where when they're doing basic exercises that they feel the muscles that are supposed to be working over the accessory neck muscles trying to work right it's kind of like um it's kind of like noise we want to make sure that the noise that the the upper back and the the neck is making is not so loud that it's overpowering what we're trying to do so for example if you're trying to do if you're trying to get someone that has neck pain just trying to get their shoulders back and down doing a basic single arm row and you're focusing on rhomboids right so you want to make sure that they're not shrugging during that time is shrugging bad? No, but during that exercise, shrugging is not ideal. Um, there are some times where shrugging and, and moving and getting the scap to move in various planes and various you know ranges of motion is very, very important because I think a key part of, of cervical health is scapular health, being able to you know, adduct and abduct the scap and upwardly rotate and downwardly rotate. But I think when you're doing all of these basic upper body exercises, I think you just have to take it slow. And I think, you know, Avoid anything that's going to make them use excessive tension, but from the beginning, just go nice and easy and see how it goes. You know, try a little bit, try an exercise, see how it works, but also see how it feels the next day or two. It's the biggest mistake people make when it comes to working with people with whether it's low back or cervical based issues is they're like, Hey, I want to see how you feel on this exercise. And they do four sets of 10. Okay, cool. I mean, I like the fact that you're thinking about, hey, we need to see how your body responds, but what about two sets of five, <laughs> right? You know, because because how do you know within that four sets of 10, what was that point at which was too much or maybe not enough? So uh, when you are introducing a movement or reintroducing a movement that maybe in the past had been painful, less is more, two by five. If they feel good within two to three days, have them do that same thing three by five or two by six. I don't really care how you decide to um, increase the, 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 the volume, but just make sure that it's incremental and slow and just go from there and just start adding a little bit more, adding a little bit more, adding a little bit more. And eventually you're going to be back to where you, uh, you were prior, but you have to go in those small steps and don't just think about the initial session. You have to think about what's going to happen. Um, 
within the next 48 hours too, because that will give you some pretty good insight out as to whether or not what you prescribed and the way that you executed those exercises were good or not. Absolutely. Um, and then it's the quality coaching on neck positioning uh, as you get into things like squats, deadlifts, uh, single leg deadlifts. Um, if you're using something like a toe touch, do they actually flex their necks down with their toe touch or do they go into cervical extension while they're trying to do a toe touch? You know, those, those are also things uh, I'm kind of blurring back to some of the uh, evaluation piece, but um, the, the controversial thing with the neck is should we train the neck? Um, now I think in uh, being a fitness professional that should be able to guide people through uh, stretching you should be able to guide somebody through appropriate stretching of the neck. Um, as a cancer survivor and, and somebody that had radiation to the neck, um, like I, I was taught, uh, worked with a speech pathologist right before my treatment even began uh, on swallowing exercises and neck stretches and things like that because of the impact radiation has uh, to the neck. And that's something that I'll be dealing with for the rest of my life. Um, they used to just assume that you would end up with a wooden neck, literally like the tissue got so hard, uh, from the scar tissue and from the radiation that it was like, like yeah. a wooden, wooden neck. Uh, now they know if they get somebody doing swallowing exercises, neck stretches and, and things like that before treatment and during and after, uh, you do much, much better. Um, moving forward. So um, we're sitting here doing this talk and while Mike's talking, I'm sitting here stretching my neck because I'm like, yeah, I should be doing more of this. Um, Me too. I was doing the same thing. I was like, okay, I got to do some more of this stuff. <laughs> and the other, and for some people that just have excessive tension or a shoulder problem, getting them to stretch their neck appropriately can make a really big difference. Um, the other thing, the, the, so you should be able to teach appropriate neck stretches and the key with teaching appropriate neck stretches be gentle <laughs> gentle 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 be gentle and then when you think you're being gentle be gentle some more uh in reference to stretching the neck another kind of controversial topic is training the neck because there is some research and there is some information out there talking about uh having a neck uh, a strong neck can help prevent concussions um, or lessen the severity and, and work with uh, people that, that have had concussions. So training the neck has become a little bit more of a topic. And um, when you look at some of the old wrestling traditions, you see neck bridges and you see methods of training the neck because people were trying to uh, choke somebody out or uh, perform a move that was going to be very stressful uh, to the neck. Um I think from a, a basic standpoint, uh, some very gentle isometrics where you're looking at resisting flexion, extension, rotation, lateral bending with 20 or 30% effort um, and a, just a real gentle three to five second isometric that you do a, a few times through those different ranges of motion could potentially be something that you could add to uh, train the neck. But then just your basic training, like we talked about the load that's going to happen in the neck uh, with swings, deadlifts. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we do where there's there's actually tension uh, that is used in the neck to produce stability, uh, which can produce a strong neck. Um, and that's kind of a, a nice residual 
or side effect of training, not something that we're necessarily shooting for, but some gentle uh, isometrics in different ranges uh, is potentially something to look at. Um, not and not loading the neck through ranges of motion. I think that's a little more controversial, uh, and I would tiptoe into that um, a little bit uh, differently. Uh, but um, you know, the neck um, it, it, from an, um, from an SFMA standpoint, we know that clinically, uh, if we're appro approaching um, a painful situation from that movement based approach, the neck leads the charge. Um, if you, if you run somebody through the top tier and their, their DNs on their, uh, some of their cervical ranges, that's the first breakout you're going to do. Uh, cause if you can normalize the neck, usually a lot of other things, uh, will fall into line, uh, with it. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's an important topic. And, and I think again, to highlight the, the scope of practice, uh, piece of it, um, if, uh, you're dealing with somebody with a painful neck or restricted neck that doesn't respond to the easy stuff you need to refer out. Um, painful neck, refer out. N neck that lacks a little bit of range of motion and you you go after some thoracics and some head nods and things aren't changing, refer out. Um, you know, don't don't try to become a neck expert. A neck expert. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I love it. That was that was up there. You know, I'm a little bit disappointed that you didn't say clavicle instead of clavicle today. So um, whatever. You know, it is what it is. I just I've I've taught with you for like a decade. So I know all of your one-liners at this point. So I was just waiting, but um, it did not happen. But don't worry, if you uh it, it'll happen again. We'll we'll make sure that we 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 set you up for that layup down the road. Um thank you. Um yeah, so bef uh, before we close this one out, anything else you want to uh, discuss about the neck there, Mr. Jones? It's important. Um, <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> How do you feel about no, breathing? It's important. It's it's important. <laughs> I, I think I think we should breathe uh, well. Now, I I uh, we covered a lot of different uh, things in this, and and the neck is one of those uh, critical areas. Um, that we don't necessarily need to be good at treating or training, uh, but we need to understand what's happening at the neck and working on things like breathing and basic range of motion. You should be able to teach some neck stretches. You should be able to maybe guide somebody through some very gentle isometrics, uh, but have professionals uh, in your area, um, LMT, chiropractor, physical therapist, uh, that can help you with these situations. Uh, it really can make a difference for your students and the people that you work with. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I can't think of a better closing than that. So anyways, well, to all of our listeners, thank you so much. We truly appreciate it. Uh, if you could do us a huge favor, please give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to, and we will see you on the next episode. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.